You are now listening to the Minority Trailblazer podcast. Let the story begin. One time for the lovers, two times for the ladies, three times for the brothers, four times for the babies. Do you love her? 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 One time for the lovers, two times for the ladies, three times for the brothers, four times for the babies. Do you love her? 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 Brown skin, love a brown skin, love a brown. Brown skin, love a brown skin, love a brown. She my brown skin, love a brown skin, love a brown. She my brown skin, love a brown skin. Hold me down. Welcome to the Minority Trailblazer Podcast, and I'm your host, Greg Eel, the Culture Change Agent. On this show, we interview young, successful minorities in a variety of fields to educate, empower, and inspire our current and future generation of leaders. Before we get into this legendary show, I have a couple housekeeping things. Number one, if you are listening to this on iTunes, man, stop what you're doing right now and go check out the Cope for the Culture podcast now available on all, I repeat, on all platforms iTunes, Spotify, uh, Google Play, SoundCloud, anything you can imagine is on there. That's our first show on the Minority Trailblazer Network, man. Go ahead and catch out the first season. Great, 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 great episodes. Once again, that is the Cope for the Culture podcast. Also, 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 if you've been listening to this thing, you haven't left a review, go leave a review. Do that, do that, do that. And the last thing before we jump in, man, I got a personal request, man. Please keep the team in prayers. We are negotiating a lot of different things, man, because I know we've been silent outside of the podcast as as far as what we're going to do. On the back half of the year, man, we got a lot of stuff lined up as far as shows, events, etc., man. We can't wait to release it to you. So please just keep us in your prayers, man. We're working on so much stuff, but we just got to make sure it get right, man. And we need the community behind us, man. Um, we need the community behind us. We need y'all prayers. We need y'all enthusiasm. We always need y'all encouragement, man. Thank y'all for rocking with us. Man, it's been five years. Like, literally, not five years, four years. So thank y'all for walking with this long, man. So please, please enjoy this episode. Get excited. Get pumped up. And let's continue to change the freaking Goja, man. Enjoy the show. Season six has been one for the books. And we go keep this train going. So I'm going to read a snippet of his bio. And then we're going to jump right in. He is currently a full-time employee at Amazon in Seattle, Washington, where he has worked for just over one year. In addition to managing his full-time career, he is also a serial entrepreneur and now spends most of his time on his recently launched rental startup, Boxed Up. Born in Seat Pleasant, Maryland, he's a 2008 graduate of North Carolina A&T State University, where he graduated magnum cum laude with a BS degree in mechanical engineering. While at A&T, he served in Nesby, as well as president of the Beta Epsilon Peer Chapter of Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity Incorporated. Prior to Amazon, he spent nine years at ExxonMobil, where he served in several engineering, sales, and business development roles in several cities such as Miami, Virginia, and Houston. He is a proud husband and father of two, and when he is not spending time with his family, he enjoys being active in several outdoor activities and sports. 
So without further ado, I would like to introduce Donald Boom to the Minority Trouble is a podcast, man. Welcome to the show. Greg, what's going on, man? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, brother. Thank you for having me. Hey, no doubt, man. I'm, I'm ready to, to get this thing rocking, man. I know it's going to be a legendary podcast and it's going to be because our listeners, I ain't going to lie, though. A lot of times when I engineer, oh, not engineer, when I interview engineers, man, I got to, mm. I got to, it's like pulling teeth. You put like us in pull, the box, man. You can't pull, you can't put all engineers in the box. Man, yo. nah, man. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, no, no, no. Shout out to Tim Noble, Jerry Depps. It's been, it's been a lot of engineers, but it takes a lot of time to warm up. But oh, yeah. you're, you're like a hybrid of a sort. I don't even know. When you grew up, I know we're just jumping all over the place and we're going to get to where we need to go to, like the whole structure and whatnot. But right. when you were growing up, did you see yourself as an engineer, man? You know, honestly, like like where I grew up, the word engineer really wasn't it, it wasn't in. So I didn't really know what an engineer was probably until I was in high school. So um, but looking back on it, like folks like my pops, he was always fixing cars, head under the car. He'll come in with, you know, two hands full of like black oil stain marks. He was replacing engines, brake pads, tires, installing stuff at the crib. So he was an engineer. Um, but he wasn't practically trained like an engineer. I just went to school for four years uh, and got a degree on it. But nah, man, like engineering was in our family the whole time we was growing up. We just didn't know it. Mm, yeah, which is typically of like the the black culture. Let's take a step back, man. So every single show, we start to start the show off with a quote or a mantra to kind of get the juices flowing, man. So boom, can you share with us a quote or a mantra that you live by? And then give us a particular story about how you apply that quote to your everyday life. Yeah, I got a couple. Um, the first one I'll, I'll take. Uh, I'm a huge, huge, huge rap fan. Um, Jay-Z, one of my favorite rappers. So the first one is a Jay-Z quote. I, I, I listen to a lot of music. I read sometimes, but not nearly as much as I listen to. Um, and Jay got this line and he, he says, like, I told you sell drugs. No, Hove did that. So hopefully you won't have to go through that. And uh, I like that because it's it's raw for one. He's talking about drugs. But when you look and apply that to the rest of your life, he's basically saying, listen, I gave you the blueprint for how you need to move, how you need to go about your life. So you won't have to go through the same stuff that I went through. And mm -hmm. if I contrast that to like my experience, a lot of the things that I do, I'm doing for the first time. I don't have anybody to talk to to figure out exactly how they did, how they went about what they went about. Um, so what I try to do is be as transparent as possible and basically say, no, like you don't have to do that. Boone did that. So hopefully you won't have to go through that. So you won't have to make the same mistakes that I made um, be better than me. Um, so that's one. Um, the second one I got from uh, another podcast actually called Masters of Scale. Um, and Reed was inter interviewing one of the people he had on and he said, the guy said it was a turning point in his life. Um, but the quote was, you're going to, if you look back on it, you're going to be dead forever. In the grand mm. theme of how long your life is, it's a, a millisecond in how long the world has been around and will continue to be around. Um, so like, don't, don't do anything at any moment that you don't love doing. And that's kind of what I, I try to do in my life now is don't waste time doing stuff that I don't want to do or I don't feel like doing. If I don't love it, um, I try not to do it. So that's the second one. Mm. All right. So our last episode, I debuted, no, two episodes ago, debuted a new section of the show, which we're going to start doing before we actually jump into the beginning and the usual structure. And for those that are listening that like structure, I want to say this. This show, we're going to tackle a, a couple key things. One, we're going to talk about your past growing up and all that good stuff. 
We want to talk about your experience and lessons learned through your corporate experience. I want to dig into your startup experience for the for the bulk of it. So mm-hmm. uh, a, a dash of AOI, not more so what it what it was, but it lessons learned from that. Right, right. And then to and then go to going to Grio and then boxed up is like every single one is like a different level, different strategies, different kind of team structure and all that yeah. good stuff. And then um we'll end with a little bit, a snippet, not just a snippet on life as far as fatherhood and marriage not like a whole marriage relationship council <laughs> type deal podcast, yeah. yeah 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 <laughs> but we gotta I, I do want me to miss to kind of do a snippet of that man but sure. we want to start off with this uh pulse of the week just a segment that i call pulse of the week and basically what we do is if you think about this week or last week or the last week you had in general what is a uh, one particular word that stands out from it and then why did you chose uh, to use that word i'm gonna say dedication Mm-hmm. And um, Nip Nip had a song. Uh, Nick Nip has a song uh, on his uh, his most recent album. But he talked about uh, dedication and looking back at the week prior. Uh, I had something really positive happen, and I can't share all of the details yet. It's about my startup, but I had a breakthrough. Um, but the breakthrough only came from dedication, uh, and it's super super hard, especially when you're trying to you know do something and feel like you're moving mountains at times. Um, but staying persistent and dedicated to something uh, throughout the highs and the lows is extremely difficult, man. But last week I had a, a super breakthrough and it just reminded me, um, like you prepare for a really long time, but you never know when you're going to get the shot. Like how long until uh, hard work um, preparation meets opportunity. And uh, you just never know when the time is going to come in. So just stand dedicated to your craft, whatever that may be in the corporate world, in the entrepreneurial world, wherever it is, just stand dedicated. And if you had to draw or give some tools to dedication from your own perspective, because when you hear that everybody has friends and I'm for a lot of people, I'm that friend, but everybody has friends, social media accounts that you go for positive energy. When you have this big idea, or you start this big relationship or you have this new career opportunity and things get tough. Right. right. And they say, oh, just stick it out. But right. it's like there's this, this more to that. Right? Right, right. So for those for the people that are listening right now that or maybe have a business or have a relationship, has something where when they first started, it was a lot of promise, but they're going up and down mm-hmm. and all around and they're, they're focused and struggling with that whole dedication piece. What would be some things that you would share with them that kind of uh, help help them kind of con- concretize? Oh man, I made a word, <laughs> uh, dedication. <laughs> yeah, I think, um, I, I think having a, a, a crazy big vision is extremely important. I, I think you need to aim for the moon uh, as much as possible, as often as possible. Like I, I hate people that, that place small bets on themselves. I think you got to place big bets. Um, but at the end of the day, you got you to gotta break down what you're, anything that you're trying to accomplish. Just break it down in a small bite-sized task. And whenever I start feeling overwhelmed about something like, man, this isn't going to work man, this isn't going how I thought it would. I break it down and say, all right, boom, let's, let's take a step back. Think about it. What do I need to do today? Or what can I do today that's going to get me to that goal? It might not take out 25% half of it, but what, what can I do? As long as I'm doing something each day uh, to get closer to whatever it is that I'm trying to do. Um, and people say take stuff day by day. And yeah, it's, it sounds like a lot of uh, just, you know, empty words. But <laughs> yeah. I think if you could break it down into bite-sized things and say, all right, as long as I do these two things today, I'll be good. Tomorrow we'll, we'll tackle the next two things. But what do you need to do right now to get to that point? Um, and try to stay laser focused on that. Because sometimes, I mean, I, I do it all the time and I get overwhelmed thinking about how much I'm trying to get done at the same time. Mm. 
and and on on the same lanes of that, but I was I was recording a podcast a little earlier, and one thing that um I don't think we talked about in depth on any podcast, but I want to touch on this before we kind of take all the sets back and talk about your origin story is pace. Like is the Korean tech technology and with social media, um, pace as far as progression, as far as growth, as far as how you should be implementing stuff, changes. Now, some may say that it speeds up a lot of stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And the slower you go can be a detriment because you look around, it's like, hold up, man, I need to go ahead and lose 30 pounds. And how, right. how do I do it the right. fast? I need to get this. Or I'm startup. I need to implement fast and all this other right. stuff. So what is your thoughts now? And your and, and your maturity as far as in business in, in regards to the word and the timing of pace. Yeah, it's it's um man, that's that's a deep one. Um, and I, I feel pretty strongly about it. And I think when I was you know younger, trying to do the startup thing for the first time, I was super naive, and it, it was beneficial in letting me kind of go and move uh, and move freely without the weight of having to know how hard it was going to be. But at the same time, I try to do everything. I try to throw it in the microwave because uh, you're right, man. Like the 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 Instagram, I'll have you thinking like, man, I'm behind. Like, what am I not doing right? Like, oh shoot, like he just came up on X Y Z. Like, like damn, like I, I need to catch up. So you start getting into this this movement where you just start chasing. Like, wait, why why am I running so hard? Like everything is gonna fall in line when it's supposed to fall in line. And it took it's taken me a long time to get to that point to realize that that you can't short anything. You can't skip the ingredients. If you want to bake the cake, you got to crack the egg. You got to whip it up. You got to get the flour. Like you got to do every single thing. Um, and I, I've come to appreciate the process a lot more than appreciating um, just just focusing on the goal and recognizing that this process is is building me up for something. I don't know what it is. A lot mm-hmm. of it is faith faith based too. Like trying to rush it without um, you know God's pace and His plan. You can start getting ahead of yourself, man. So I, I just try to make sure I measure it and say, like, all right, today was a great day. Still not going to make me rush or go any crazy or any that much harder than what I thought. Um, and vice versa, if the day don't go as well. Mm. So with that being said, let's take a let's take eh, around a couple 30, 31 years, 30, 30, 30 plus years uh, yep. back. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, can you tell our audience, can you share with the audience rather a little bit about yourself and where you come from? Yeah, man. So, um, born and raised in C Pleasant, Maryland. I spent 16 years there. Uh, I'll, I'll tell a little bit about my present. So right now I'm in, I'm in Seattle. Um, lovely wife. We've been married for five years, uh, two young kids. My daughter just turned three. My son will be two in September. Um, and if you rewind back to sort of where I grew up, um, and to think that I'd be where I am today, you know, I'm, I'm pretty shocked myself. So, you know, I, I grew up right outside of D.C., um, five minutes from the, 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 the D.C. line and a two parent household. It was really great. And uh, I had two older brothers, Dorian and Donnell, that I looked up to. Um, and all we knew was sports, man. So basketball was it like same same city as Kevin Durant. Um, Rudy Gay grew up right down the street. So hooping was everything for us, man. So we would hoop, man. Four or five times a day, like that's all we would do uh, mm-hmm. was ball. Um, so the, the the neighborhood was was crazy. It was it was one of those neighborhoods that you you'll see and like read about and watch on TV where it was crazy stuff going on. Like you know, I got friends that was shot. Um, my house was was shot before, not like people shooting at my house, but just like straight bullets in the neighborhood. 
um, came through my front yard, stuff like that. So crazy stuff like that was happening. But when you're a kid and you're in it, none of it really, really feels that crazy. It's not until now when I look back and like, man, life was, life was a little insane growing up. Um, mm-hmm. but that, that was the kind of neighborhood that I was in. And then if you looked at the family dynamic, um, mom was well educated. She graduated from college. Um, and she was a, a education. She thought she was going to be a teacher. Um, but pops was a trash truck driver. So, um, they really had that dynamic where my pops was like super in tune and grounded with the hood. He knew everybody. He walked around the street, got people up. People called me little Boone. Um, and my mom was a lot more reserved. So her side of the family was we go to college, we get our master's degrees, we get our master's masters, you know, we get our PhD. That was sort of that side of the family. So I I definitely have both dynamics, uh, going on growing up. And I I think it, that's kind of what helped balance me throughout. Um, but I'd say like around the time of about five years old, I started becoming uh, cognizant of what was going on, uh, in my family and within my household. So, um, my pops was there, but I started noticing like, man, he not, you know, he, he laying on the couch today instead of going into work, like what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, so over time I started, you know, getting smarter and getting a little more hip and I'd be like, oh shoot, pops going into the bathroom. Pops been in the bathroom for 30 minutes. Like what's going on in the bathroom for 30 minutes. He'll come out. He'll have a completely different mood, um, than the one that he went in with. So, you know, over time I started to realize, like, I think pops doing some shit that, you know, I, I ain't seen before and, or yeah. he not telling us about, um, come to find out, man, he, he started smoking weed when, before I was even born. Um, and it turned out developing into a full blown drug addiction. So, mm-hmm. um, not to derail the whole story, but I, I think that piece of it has certainly shaped who I am. I think seeing life as a adolescence through that lens where, you know, pops is on drugs. You don't know what kind of uh, mood he's going to come into the house with. Some days he was responsible for taking me to school. He wouldn't, I had to walk to school. Um, other days um, stuff was going crazy in the house. Like my mom didn't want to leave the crib because she didn't feel safe or she didn't want to come back home and feel safe. So it was a, it was a crazy, yeah. I, I look back now, it was a really crazy point where, um, my older brother had left, oldest brother left the house. My older brother, Dorian was in college. Um, and it was just me, my mom and my pops. So like I would have basketball practice, man. Moms would stay in the car because she didn't want to go home by herself. But I look back and you talk about, you know, process and patience. Had you told me all of that stuff would help prepare me and going through what I went to now. Um, to be able to look back and, and go through some of the same stuff. I don't think I would have been, I don't think I would be who I am had I not gone through that. Um, but I, I wouldn't wish that uh, on anybody, but it's definitely helped shape me who I am. Yeah, man. Yeah. So that's, that's, I appreciate you for sharing that. So now we go in that environment and then you leave home. So what were your thoughts about leaving home? Because now, uh, because it was there, was there a breakup? Cause like when you, when you left home and went to ANC first, How'd you find out about ANT? That can be a short quip because I know people, I'd have had so many Aggies in this podcast and say, gee, <laughs> if I hear one more story about dang Aggie Brown, but no, y'all gonna hear right. this thing today. Y'all gonna get this work today. <laughs> but uh, yeah, like, so you you transitioned, but how was it kind of just leaving the house? Yeah, so I found out about ANT via college tour. My mom went to Stillman, HBCU. Uh, Dorian, he went to Morehouse, my older brother. So HBCU was in the family. Um, but I always thought I was going to go like Georgia Tech or Maryland. So I went on a college tour and fell in love with the campus. But yeah, making that transition, it was it was a little tough early on. 
um, they ended up getting uh, mom and pops ended up getting divorced in high school. So that was tough. Uh, but I, I initially felt guilty leaving home. But man, my mom has been great, crazy support system and instilling in me like, you know, don't let me hold you back. Like your life is your life. You're going to live your life however you want to. So fell in love with A&T. And from uh, a super early age, I knew I wanted to be an engineer like we were talking about. Uh, so A&T was the perfect fit, man. Like where else can I go to be around my people, all types mm-hmm. of people? uh in that in that in that space um and take that development away yeah so now okay you got at ant and then you graduate so what was the first move after graduation from ant man the the most conservative place <laughs> to ever think ever think in your life man i'm with the exxon mobile uh great company man doing dope doing dope stuff uh still got a lot of friends there still love that experience but it was it, it was like it was like being in a movie where they talk about corporate America. That's what ExxonMobil was. It was like suit, shirt and tie. All of the dudes had clean faces. Most of them was white, of course. Um, you had to wear your tie, your hard, your hard bottoms. Like how you looked and walked through the halls was was shit, damn near more important than the work you were putting out. Um, but so it was, man, it, it was crazy. So like right out of school. An amazing opportunity. I got to go to to uh, Miami, so I worked in Miami home based office right out of school. Single dude, it was crazy. So for a year and a half, I was in Florida. <laughs> uh, came back, moved to Virginia, and then lived in Texas for two and a half years. So I spent uh, nine and a half nine years uh, with Exxon Mobil as a mechanical engineer. Um, took me a whole lot of places, man. Europe, uh, all over the country, places that I probably wouldn't have had the money uh, money to go. And spend that stuff on myself, like seeing how like the other side of the world eats. Like people eat this for dinner, like steak, you know, lots of meals. <laughs> That's just what we did. Yeah, that per like, diem life changed oh, everything, yeah, boy. Spending a fifty dollars, fifty dollars on a steak, man. I I spend I hadn't spent more than the nine dollars on, you know, a plate, let alone uh fifty dollars on one piece of meat. So it was it was eye opening to see a completely different world. That's kind of where I, you know, the training wheel started to come off. I'm like, man, this is how people really live. Like, you no, know, people real life got boats that they own and they spend in the weekends on, or people got cribs in different countries or different states. It was just a world that I didn't even know existed until I started working. Yeah, what's one one crazy thing is like the first time that I was exposed like corporate cars and stuff, I'd be like, yo. It, it it's hard to, to put in your head because you like you remember sometimes and I, I can't speak for everybody everybody's situation is different but i remember times at the house where groceries were hard to come by and right. fifty dollars had to stretch you for a couple weeks and right. even in college like fifty dollars you might have that for a whole month and then you get yes i mean you get thirty dollars for breakfast and i'm like yo right. this is and it's like a whole team of people getting this per diem right. You like right. the corporation has this much money, they could pay me my salary, insurance, like it, and, and I, we afford to do all of this. It was it was a crazy, crazy world. And and to see that paycheck um come hit your bank account for the first time. I had never seen that much money in my life. Uh, especially growing up humble, man. That's why I ended up there. Cause I re- I remember as a child, like Googling, um, you know, I was good at science and math. So I said, like, where can I earn the most money? And at the time it was the oil and gas industry. So that's where I went. It's like, how can I make money? Uh, and that's where it was. So it it was weird having that uh, having an experience, man. But like you said, like money was just it was a plethora of it was everywhere. So so uh, one thing I want to highlight though, there. How long did you stay in Maryland or in DC when you uh, when you were at the, the basement and you were in the basement? Yeah. So uh, I moved back after I lived in Miami. 
Uh, I lived in Miami for a year and a half. And my perspective was like, listen, if the goal is to invest and be wealthy, like, why should I rent a spot or, you know, why should I spend money on something that I don't have to? So when I got a call and they told me to come back to headquarters in Virginia, the first thing I did was call my mom, like, mom, what's, what's going on? I'm, I'm coming back <laughs> to the crib. I'm going in the basement. And, and of course, mom is like, great. I'd be happy to have you. Uh, so I was in the basement probably for uh, two solid years, uh, just stacking bread, man. Like the goal was make money, live cheap. People talk about me because how cheap I am. Um, but I bought a used, cheap used car. It was a Nissan Maxima at the time. Uh, and I was, you know, living in mom's crib, man. So it was like, I go on dates. End of the date, I tell the young lady, like, sorry, yeah. but I got to kick it back, kick it back to mom's crib. So if you're cool with chilling in the basement, that's fine. We can watch some TV over there. But it's going to be in the basement. I ain't living in nothing fancy. And I was fine with that, man. My mentality was definitely, how do I build generational wealth? Because uh, that's the key. Uh, my parents didn't have it. So like that shift needed to start with me and what I was doing. Yeah. And I, I want you to speak about real briefly, because um, I, I always say, no, I don't know now, right out of right after college, I definitely would have made that move. But also, too, you see a lot of adults that are in they mid to late 20s, early 30s, making that transition, some out of necessity, but some because of the save money. So. How like was it just more so your mindset was on the long term and really not focused on that? Like what allowed you to have that confidence? Like, hold up, man. Cause I mean, most people want to be independent. They want their own space. They want to move right. how they want to move. I know your your parents, you probably had a flexible mom, but what, what what do you think was a core foundation? What would you say to somebody that's like, yo, you're right, man. I live in the same city, same state as my mom. I really don't have like it it, it, it would make sense. Right. Nah, you know, I, honestly, I started waking up. Uh, and looking at like our counterparts, like look, what are what are people, what are the white people that that are our age, like what are they doing? And they they're living at the crib, they living with their moms, they living with their families, and you'd be hard pressed to go to find another culture that pushes their people out the house. Like at the 18. idea at eighteen, the idea is graduate, go to college, get a job, do it on your own. And I started thinking, like, why? Like for what? What do what are we putting so much pressure on ourselves for? So then it, it started to come around full circle. And I'm like, man, these dudes are um, starting businesses out of their parents' garage, not their garage, like their parents' garage out of their attic, out of the basement. So why am I in a rush to go out and live on my own and struggle? Like, that's not going to put any more air on my chest. It's like, let me let me humble myself and go back home and live in my mom's basement. So for, for me, it was just a mindset. But I think having that long-term vision, like you said, and not like, of course, people, people make jokes, but people make jokes about everything. And then yeah. what, I, what I would start finding is, you know, a week or two later, those same people that were joking, they were like, yo, how much you saving living at your mom, in your mom's basement? So, you know, I started hipping people to different ways of thinking that they just weren't comfortable doing at the time. Yeah. And you got to just use the help D like we, you blessed right. to have a, a parent that has a house that you can stay right. in. It's right. like, why, why, I don't know what it is in our culture is like, you know, you, you play basketball is like, just lean into the help, man. Like, or, right. or I don't know if that was the correct analogy, but people know what I'm talking <laughs> about. It's like, right. it's like, yo, we got people out there. We got support, man. That's what they there for, man. For the most right. part, if, they, if they're willing partner. But all right. So now let's jump back to Exxon. Right. So around this time of Exxon, you did start a company because you can you speak on real brief. And the reason why I want to bring this up, because we want to. I want people to see as we kind of progress into this interview, um, the changes and the, the changes you made internally, but also your perspectives in these different startups and these businesses that you started. 
But your first business, AOI, can you tell our listeners yeah. about your first businesses and then uh, your first business and then uh, what are the key lessons you learned from that or the couple key takeaways? Yeah, no, uh, definitely. Throughout, so as I started getting closer to graduation, um, I, um, I took this class in entrepreneurship. And what I started to realize is that I love business. So that's why, like, at the beginning, you said, you know, you're not the normal engineer. And I never really have been. I was good at it, but, like, engineering wasn't necessarily my passion. So in school, uh, I had the pleasure to uh, pledge a debate epsilon period chapter of Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity Incorporated. And in that process, I remember crossing and, man, like, I, I couldn't tell you, like, how happy I was to get offline. But as soon as you get offline... You get off and you put on this, uh, excuse my language, this baggy ass shirt. Uh, <laughs> that's like the, the, the quadruple X shirt. And I'm like, man, like why every time I wear paraphernalia, you got to look this lame. Like it's, this is this crazy corny. Um, so I was like, well, why not just start a business? So um, shout out to Matt Green, man. As soon as he graduated, I said, Matt, I love you, bro. We work, work great together. Um, you do dope designs. Like let's build this company. Neither one of us had done it before. You know, our parent, parents barely did entrepreneurship. Mm -hmm. um, so me and Matt uh, collaborated on that. We called Derek Beasley, another bro, uh, and then my actual brother, Dorian. Um, so we worked on that, you know, for three years, man. It was going well. Business was well. And this was be before people were doing T-shirt companies. Like, clothing companies weren't that big in 2009. This is 10 years ago. Yeah, that was a very ago. unique. Man, it was like the, it was the early, early days. So we did a lot of that stuff. But it's amazing. Um, we in, we ultimately uh, shut it down because we were all in different places. Me and Matt was in D.C. Um, Bees and Door were in North Carolina. So it was, it was just hard and we weren't seeing the returns. Like we were making money, but we weren't making this enough. We weren't making enough to justify like how much time we were spending into it. Um, so I always thought that was going to be like just a side project to like keep, you know, keep the fire burning. Um, so that's really what that was and kind of how it started and ended. Gotcha. So what do you think your main takeaway was from that experience? Looking back now where you today, like what part of that experience has helped you now in kind of the space that you're in? The branding part. So we, we would collaborate, spend, let's say a month on iterating and figuring out what kind of uh, clothing line we wanted to drop. So we drop a fall line and we'll spend like two months planning for it. But the branding throughout and like working with working with somebody as creative like Matt and Bees, me and my brother really just brand the business. But like watching somebody work and develop a brand from scratch um, and to think about collaborative collaborations and designs. So so running a business like a T-shirt company and then going somewhere into tech and you merge those two. It's like, man, like I can't just simply start a company. I need to create a brand alongside it. And mm -hmm. a brand is attributable. It don't matter what kind of business you run in, um, shoot, just branding yourself. So almost before every venture, every venture that I start, I come up with a logo and I'll start making merch, honestly, before I even release the business. Because it's something about like putting a logo on a hat or on a T-shirt and like walking out the front door and people asking you what that is. Like, yeah, this is my business. So that branding piece was so powerful, man. I still use it. A lot of those lessons today, honestly. Mm, yeah, yeah, man. That's that's huge. And now... As we are, so you're still at Exxon, AOI, um, AOI, y'all, y'all pack that up and we're going to talk about packing stuff up and we, and we talk about the next startup. Cause I said, I don't want to waste that question on AOI. Um, so, all right, we're closing now AOI, you're still working at Exxon. So when did you start getting the nick, the, the, the itch to be like, hold up, man, let me start this next, uh, the next business you had with Olio and kind of break yeah. that down. 
Yeah. So I uh, so I did clothing. Um, before that, I was trading stocks. And then I thought for me, the next the next the next big thing was going to be real estate. Like I mentioned, meeting rich people. I'd never seen rich people before, but all of them were consistent. All of them had real estate of some sort. Um, so I, I started doing real estate, bought a home, rented it out, sold it. And then I did the math and I said, man, like in, in order for this to make more money than I'm making at Exxon, I got to have like a hundred plus houses like that I'm <laughs> renting out every month. And I started sitting back and doing the math like, man, this, I don't know if this is going to work, yo. So <laughs> I started, I started crunching numbers and said, man, like if I really wanted this to, if I really wanted to quit and do this full time, I was going to have to, you know, 10x whatever I was putting out in order to get there um, just for it to make any type of sense. So my mind started changing. I said, all right, what? I, I need to make a bigger bet. man. like I, I'm, I'm sitting here and I was thinking through real estate. And I remember to this day, I still haven't told, told him this, but I was meeting with Calvin Williams and Calvin was like, boom, like you're a genius at that. Like you need to bet on yourself. And as he was telling me to bet on myself, and pour some of my passion and ideas into real estate, I interpreted it completely different. And I was like, nah, I need to better myself in this technology space. Apps <laughs> is popping, apps is lit. Like, why am I sitting on the sidelines, wasting all of this money, investing in someone else? I need to do it for myself. Uh, and I'll, I'll never forget, I was on a business trip. I was in Europe. I was doing all of this traveling with Exxon and I was staying at the hotel. Um, and I was, in, um, uh, I was in Prague. Sat down at my table, ordered the food. Food came out, man. The food was trash. Like, it's good food in Europe. <laughs> like, where I was at, it wasn't it. But I remember, like, the food coming out and being mad. Like, damn, like, I wish I would have been able to see this before I ordered it. Because I wouldn't have ordered it. It's got too much sauce. All oh, this is crazy. And then, like, the idea went off in my head. Like, wait, if I'm the, I can't be the only one having this experience. So I was like, I got to create an app where I can partner with these restaurants take professional photos of all of their food. So when you sit down at the table, you can see exactly, get a preview of what it is that you're getting ready to order before the food comes out. And then if I want some ketchup, if I want another drink, if I want a water, I can throw, I can hit a button on my app instead of waiting 10 minutes for the server to come. Um, so like literally it hit me like a ton of bricks in February, man, I was grinding and I had like the first uh, pages up of the app probably a couple months after that. Um, called up a consultant company in Virginia uh, to help build it. So, man, by day, I would be uh, at an Exxon meeting. I would leave at lunchtime, go meet with the restaurant, give them my sales pitch, drive around, hand out flyers, and then come back to work. So I would like, I was, we talked about moonlighting. I was doing a little bit, a little bit of work before it started. Mm -hmm. I meet my day would be uh, crazy packed. I would take time at lunch, go and try to do that grind, come home at night, grind throughout the next day. And I probably did that for like three months straight of just like grinding throughout each day, trying to sell restaurants on this idea. Yeah, man. And there's a couple of things I wanted to highlight in that journey. I think it's important to your story and could be definitely applicable to our audience. So the first thing I want to I want to talk about is. One, you in, you put a lot of you put a lot of capital into this, right? You put yeah. a lot of time over a hundred thousand dollars. So one, um, actually, one, I want to I want to end with that. You had to pitch a lot of investors, right? And I know you had some great meetings that you's like, "Yo, we're here," yep. and then some yep. meetings right after. And I think a lot of us that starting companies and you're starting to get a little bit of traction, and you having these meetings sometimes with investors, sometimes with potential contracts. You can get real excited and then you just see things fall under like 
What yep. was your mindset back then when you like you you ready? You had a pitch and you like yo people promising you things and things yep. falling through. Like how did you how did you just stay solid throughout those times where it was such a a roller coaster of emotions? Stay solid, man. I didn't, yo. I was, <laughs> yo, I was a wreck, dude. I, I remember, man. I would get, I would get so emotional because that it's it's a lonely process, man. Like yeah. trying to build a company from scratch is literally it's easiest easiest the hardest thing uh, I'd I'd ever done. And trying to have a family. So like while I'm doing all of this, I meet my wife. Uh, we end up getting married. Uh, we moved to we moved to Texas. My uh, my daughter was just born. And I'll never forget this. I got an invitation to pitch uh, in Atlanta and uh, God bless my wife. She was like, cool, go and do it. But literally, like my daughter be crying in one room. I'm in the other room, like practicing my pitch and going through my whole startup spiel to make sure it was perfect for the next day. Um, and I remember showing up at the at the, the pitch in Atlanta um, and I'm on my way driving there, like listening to music. And like literally tears just start bawling down my face, man, like uncontrollable tears. Like, I'm like, why am I so emotional, man? But I'm, I'm going through all of these changes and all of these emotions, all of these emotions. And to your point, you got these really high highs, these super lows. And I was just thinking back on all of the stuff I did to get to that point, get into this meeting room. And of course, it's an investment room full of all white people. Yeah. 90% of them white. They don't look like me. Like... I could have been basically like an athlete or football player <laughs> or the bus boy. Um, they, they had they had no clue, man. They had never seen anybody like me. So when I tell you I killed this pitch, though, like absolutely destroyed it. But the questions I would get afterwards were crazy. It was like, all right, yeah, this is a billion dollar business, but why are you the one to run it? And I get questions <laughs> like, well, what does what? What your what does your mother do? What does your father do? Did they graduate from college? And I'm wow. like, what do you mean? So. It, it, it felt, man, it, it felt it was disrespectful in a whole lot of ways. Um, I probably tried to raise money for four months straight, man. Uh, pitch competitions, meeting with investors, and you read stuff online. You read these articles, these companies, Instagram had this idea, spun it up, didn't work, got $2 million. You listen to other podcasts where people are like struggling, trying to build something. They'll ask Uncle Tom for fifty thousand mm-hmm. dollars and he used some of his retirement money to give it to him I, I didn't have any of that i didn't have any people that had money no nobody in my family had the, the bread to loan me uh, a couple thousand dollars to start a company so i was trying to do all of this by myself um so when we get to that 100k number uh i had to i had to do that on my own man i, I had this this nest egg at exxon and i don't encourage anybody to do it but anybody who does i definitely understand i'm like looking at my 401k man, I got all of this money in here, but that's going to go to my retirement. What am I doing right now to make it happen? So mm-hmm. I took a loan out on the 401k, man, because I couldn't find an investor that believed enough in me to make my dream happen. So I was like, F it, I'll bet on myself. Um, and that's when that, uh, that 100k number came from. Whatever I had to do to get it off the ground, if the people didn't look like me that I needed to ask money for to invest in me wasn't going to give it to me, then I had to do it myself. Mm. But it was a real time, man. It was real. Yeah, man. And uh, one question I want to have. You said something, and I think people need to hear this. Not all. Tra- I'm reading. I read your Medium post, and you wrote about um, having to, to, to transition from Olio. And you had something that said, not all traction is good traction. Mm-hmm. Hey, can you please share, expound upon that a little bit? Because I think some people need to hear this when they're, when they're talking about their business and they get a, a, first, a first couple wins. 
And yep. from your perspective, what did that mean to you? Yeah, no, nah, that's a really good question. And uh, I'm happy to be diving in on, on the business aspect. But when, when I started Olio, my goal was to bring on as many restaurants as possible. Uh-huh. So I bring on partner with the restaurants so that when people open up the app, they had they had companies um, that that they went to sell and pizza in the D.C. area, busboys and poets. But when I went to pitch those companies, I sold them this idea of what the app would be. And the idea rung true. But the first thing that they would ask me is, well, how much does it cost? And I was like, you know what? Don't even worry about the cost. I'll make sure it's free. But what <laughs> I didn't realize is by not charging any of those restaurants to join the platform, they didn't value the service that I was giving to them. So I made it free. They didn't value it. So in turn, they didn't push it when they had people or patrons coming to the restaurant that were looking at a menu. They weren't going out to their servers to say, make sure you use Olio so you can see pictures of the food before you order. They didn't, they didn't care. They didn't pay for it. So when I say not all traction is good traction is being thoughtful and mindful uh, about how you grow your business. Are you growing for the sake of growth? Are those Instagram followers that are following you, do they believe in your brand? Are they going to be potential buyers? Can you convert them to buyers of your product? Or is it a bot or is it someone else mm. that's just also trying to get followers? Like be, be mindful of the track and traction isn't just, you know, spending or, or buyers or customers. It can be a social media following. It could be the number of retweets, the number of likes on a picture. Um, traction can come from all channels, but it's, it's really just growth. So being mindful about the growth that you're seeking and making sure it's the right kind of growth before you double down and say, all right, that's starting to work. Let me do that. So, cause what it was, what it was for me is, all right, cool. Some restaurants like it. All right. I'm gonna, I'm gonna give it free to all the restaurants. Well, mm-hmm. what happened was I never found a restaurant that valued it like I want to. And here I was, you know, a year into it, I had 40 restaurants that signed up, but none of them cared about it. So it was tough for me to really use that leverage to continue to grow the business. And then the, the, the last note on, on Olio how did you, where did the confidence come from and how did you deal with the aftershock when you had to uh, make the transition and, and close up shop, man? It's like, yo, you raised all this money, you, you made some noise, you had traction, restaurants, and then it's like, well, you got to transition. And then you openly telling people, and I know you raised a lot of it yourself, but the other people that family and friends that maybe have supported the project, et cetera. Yeah. Um, how did you deal with that emotionally, uh, if you mind me asking? No, it was, it was tough, man. It was, it was embarrassing. Um, because I I think like a lot of people that are probably listening to this podcast is people looked up to me Mm -hmm. as someone took chances. They're like, you know, if anybody can do it, Boone can do it. And I started to wear that on my shoulders. I walk around like, man, like Olio got to work because like so many people believe in me or Olio got to make it because I know so-and-so we was just rapping about it the other day and they just asked me how I was doing. I felt like I had so many people rooting for me and supporting me in my corner that it almost started to uh, turn into, I don't want this business to fail because I don't want to let them people down. And mm. what, what I had to realize was um, not, not only were they not shooting, shooting with me in the gym and, and I, don't, I don't think that was as important as, me figuring out why I was continuing to hold on to it if, it if it really wasn't going the direction that I wanted to. 
And I still, to this day, I don't think that the idea was a bad one. I just think for what I needed to do, the amount of money that I needed to raise, it just wasn't going to work. And I, I started to figure out like this was setting me up for something bigger because I would go back to work and I'm like, I can't look at the work that I'm doing at Exxon the same way, having gone through everything I went with Olio. And that's when this idea of going outside of oil and gas into tech started. I started looking at Uber, started looking at Google, started looking at Amazon and Amazon is where I, I fell in love. But it was hard, man. It, and um, just that emotional, you, you pour in so much money. And as entrepreneurs, you always hear people say, be dedicated, stay consistent, don't mm-hmm. quit, don't quit, don't quit. But what you don't realize is some stuff, you got to kill it. Even if you think it's a good idea, um, you, you have to kill certain things in order for you to transition. So I say, well, why continue to put, put good money after bad um, if it's not working, it's going down the wrong direction? Uh, I need to double up on something else. Yeah, man. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. It's like watching Game of Thrones and uh, you walking, but you dang, you got an, infect, something, an infection on you. And it's like, bro, like you you, you got poison, bro. You about to die. Right. And it's like, nah, I'm going to keep walking. No, bro. Like, hey, man, go ahead. Finish the deal, man. Stick to me. Like, right. get, get it right. out of there. But it, I, I feel you when it, it, business gets to a weird point when the actual, in your head, you're not even pushing forward to business because you, you still believe in it. Which is more yeah. so is for you trying to save face and the energy is not the same when you like you yeah. waking up every morning for yourself rather than now it's like, man, if I don't, people gonna ask me all these questions, or even if they don't, internally I'm gonna feel like, hey, what's hey, what's up, what's up with Olio? Do you gotta be like right. every single time somebody asks you that gotta you gotta either that or it's like, dang, all right, man, well shoot, man, we moving on. Like, oh, all right. It's like, <laughs> damn, bro, like right. so But why do we but why do we gotta fake, man? And that, that's the big thing. And what I'm trying to do now is just be transparent through yeah. all of it. Like, um, you know, it's pressing on today's and this is a whole podcast in itself. But you know, Aisha Curry came out and was super honest. And a lot of people didn't like it. And, you know, I, I think for our culture, for our people, especially in the tech space, like, man, all business days ain't easy. Mm-hmm. Um, startups aren't easy. So I don't have to pretend like it's always going well. Um, so when I killed it, you know, I, I wrote that post because I wanted to be transparent. Like, no, I went through this. So hopefully you won't have to. But learn from what I learn from what I went through um, so you can turn out uh, better. Mm. And I think you were alluding to it now. So. All right, we closed down shop at Olio, but around this time, you have been looking for other other jobs. And so I want you to speak real quick on two things. One, um, now from a business perspective, what is the biggest thing that you got from your experiences at uh, Exxon? And then talk about what led you to Amazon and what you do in your current role today. Perfect. Transitioning from, from Exxon, Exxon was great because it, it taught me how... Uh, massive organizations run, you know, 200, 300, 400 billion dollar revenue a year company, how their leaders think, how, how do people that are super smart, that graduated with an MBA from the fanciest place, like how do they move? How do they run their business? Uh, and I had a couple good mentors there where you talk about like, you know, people that are, you know, amazing, dedicated to their craft, even, even small things like, how do you take notes in your notebook in an organized way to make sure you follow up on all of the follow-ups from a meeting? You effectively close out a meeting. You send an email to wrap up the meeting and uh, all of those tasks. Doing small stuff like that, you'll be amazed at how many people out of all the companies I work for, 
how many people don't do that kind of stuff? So man, when how do you do take it, notes, man? Like, no, nah, you can't you can't ride off with that, boo. How do you take notes? Like, I mean, I think I take those pretty good. Is there a specific way, a format, bro? My bad, yeah, take print thought. Right. <laughs> no, no, no. But but seriously, it was stuff like that. Like, I thought I was doing fine. Like, yeah, I've been t- I've been taking notes my whole life. I'm I'm straight. And then he's like, nah. He sat me down. He gave me this book, and like literally on the on the top left, he put the date. Uh, and then he write down bullet points in each meeting. And then in the far right co- uh, column, there was an action. So he put an action or a follow up um, for each of the bullets that he needed to have an action or follow up to. So it, it was just super methodical. And it's like bullet point, bullet point, bullet point, action, bullet point, bullet point, action. So making sure his notes were organized so that when he flipped back into it, he can make sure he closed out on all of the stuff. So it was just super, super organized. Um, I mean, even now, like a lot of people take notes in their computer. I still, to this day, people see me, I walk around with a pencil in my ear and a, a handwritten notebook to write all of the stuff. So small, small lessons like that. Um, I say the other thing is just presence. Like it, it, executive presence is, is another thing. I think that I, I took it for granted for a, a super long time. But I started noticing that people will show you a certain amount of respect or not, depending on small things like how you stand, your position. Um, are you laid back in the chair? Are you hunched over your desk taking notes for them? So there, there are body cues um, that you give off during your everyday life, even if you're just at a meeting. Like how you sit at the table lets people know your status within that room. So it's, it's a lot more than just, are you sitting at the head of the table? Are, what's your posture in your seat? So small things like that, that I started to pick up on that these like executives that reported to the CEO were doing. So you just, you spend enough time working with people like that, you start to pick up on some of those traits. So mm-hmm. I took all of that stuff and made my transition to Amazon. So let's transition to Amazon real quick though. In a, co- in a company that is not as corporate as um, Exxon is a presence. The way you assert your presence is a little m- different. You'd be amazed. No, it, it's really? a lot of the same stuff. Wow. Yeah, b- because so at Exxon it was twofold. It was how you dressed, but how you talked and how you shook somebody's hand. Did you look them in the eye? And that's the stuff you could take from the street too. Like, are 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 you looking somebody in their eye when you're talking to them? So small stuff like that, but. No, so like at, at at Amazon, I can wear you know a, a dad hat, a snapback, um, some jeans, and some kicks and be fine. But my presence is still the same. I'm still is um, my my handshake is still super firm. I'm still sitting in my chair as if I would at Exxon. So everything else is exactly the same. I'm just I might be in different wrapping. So when they first see me, they're like, oh okay, this is just another random you know, programmer dude who got a hoodie on. But then when I start talking, they say, oh, okay. You know, I'll see people like visibly in their face when I start talking. They say, oh, okay. You know what he's talking about. So let me, let me listen and pay this man some, some respect. Mm. So now you're at Amazon. So now can you talk about slightly on the top level, what your role is? And then two, pivot and transition into the business that you have now. Yeah. So I'm, I, Greg, Greg, I ain't even gonna pretend like my, uh, my job is, is super attractive, uh, and, cause I know it ain't. So I ain't even gonna bore people about what I do. <laughs> so, but at, at the top level, uh, I am the, uh, the tech guy who helps 
big corporations, these enterprise companies, Georgia Pacific, 3M, all of these companies sell stuff on Amazon. Being a seller on Amazon is big for like a lot of entrepreneurs, um, but it's also big for a lot of these companies because more than half of the stuff that people buy off of Amazon isn't even from Amazon. Amazon is just the vehicle to get you the stuff. It's a lot of companies, Apple, Dell, Jabra, uh, all of these companies are on Amazon selling stuff. I help companies like that bring their stuff on the Amazon and how to uh, use these things called APIs to communicate their systems to our systems. So super, super complicated in tech. But what I've learned is, man, like the, the model of selling on Amazon is big business. So people, companies are, are paying like hundreds of thousands of dollars to consultants to basically do what I do on an everyday basis. So I started learning like the world that I'm living in, I'm super blessed I had an opportunity because um, the world is changing. Everything is e-commerce. So even these big, slow, old businesses are having to do stuff on, um, on, a, on an e-commerce scale. So the skills that I'm picking up are great because they can translate into exactly what it is that I want to do. So I was listening to this podcast and Trishan Walker, and he was saying that one of the big things and one of the reasons why he started Bevel uh, or Walker and Co-Brands is he was trying to figure out exactly what he wanted to do. And he said, one of his advisors said, well, what do you know or what business are you uniquely qualified to run? In other words, what gives you a competitive advantage to start this specific business? And I wanted to take my Amazon experience and translate that into a business specifically that I could run better than anybody else because of what I knew in the inner workings of Amazon and how people purchased and got products from point A to point B. So the business that I'm working on now is Amazon for rentals. So you think about the sharing economy, people are renting spaces instead of getting hotels, they stay in Airbnbs. Instead of renting cars, they're Ubering from one spot to another. Instead of walking, they're hopping on a bird scooter. Well, what about everything else? Let's say you want to you know, take up drone photography, go into the beach, or you go into a wedding, um, and you want some drone shots because you've seen them on Instagram and they look cool, they get all the likes. Well, maybe you don't want to sink $2,000 into a drone well, my company boxed up, rents it to you for a fraction of the price. So instead of paying $2,000, I'll let you rent it for $50 for the weekend. The same thing with camera equipment or the same thing with recording your first podcast. Anything that you can think of, construction, drills, uh, whatever, I want to rent everything. So literally be Amazon of rental stuff. So really at the end of the day, making it easy for people to start businesses. I think I'm on my seventh business in total. And every time I got to make a a, a, a a chunk of money goes into investing in infrastructure to make the business run. I just want to even the plan field and, and make, make it easier for people uh, to do whatever it is that they're passionate about. Mm. So what is your strategy? How is your strategy rather different this time around, this iteration based off what you did the first couple go arounds in this startup space? No, definitely. So one, one of the things that I learned uh, working at Amazon was they, they don't, they move extremely quickly. So for example, 
Prime launched in, I think it was just over a hundred days. Well, Bezos was mad it didn't launch in 90 days. Wow. So he's like, yo, why is it taking this long to get this thing out? Like, yeah, I got the resources, y'all should be fine. But the reason why they, they do that is, yeah, there's competition, but B, any any startup or any business idea that you have, it's only a hypothesis of what you think people will like or a product people will want to use. Only a hypothesis. So if you, if you step out of yourself for a second and say, I, I really don't have a clue. I've talked to some people. I might have a gut feeling that something will work, but at the end of the day, it's just what I think will work. I don't know until I pull it out, put it out in the world for people to try. So what I learned different from, from Olio was I spent a year prepping Olio just to get it out onto the streets and realize that the restaurants didn't want it or couldn't benefit from it like I, like they, like I thought that they could. So for Boxed Up, my thing was, I need to launch this business in 90 days or less. Like regardless of how much work or how much time it takes, 90 days or less, no excuses. So I pushed like hell. I didn't make 90, but I think I did it in like 98. Um, but in 100 days or less, I was able to come up with the concept, do the branding for it, push it out the door and launch it and put it in people's hands. Because once people can see it and feel it and look at it, they can say, oh, OK, I could use it in this way. Or now nah, what you think it's going to work right here. I would rather you do this thing. So so that's the concept is starting fast. Um, yeah, you might have a, a, a really broad, massive vision for what you want to do, but you got to put it, you got to shrink it into bite-sized chunks and test and measure, test, launch it, test it, see what people like, see what they don't like. And if you find something that they like, you got to double down on it and say, okay, people really like this feature right here. People really like drones and not filling the podcast equipment or people really like the podcast equipment not filling the drone. So now I need to invest in more podcast equipment as an example. So uh, it's really just it's getting out of your head, starting fast uh, and putting whatever you're working on out into the world. Mm, and then boxed up, like you said, is for any creative out there that is either a dabbling, wanting to start something and don't want to gather that much equipment, start off. Also for creatives that are already starting something that may be in Chicago for a week, whatever, like can you give a little bit more context on who is for what's the best uses and also too from a business perspective um is the play for is from b2b or b2c yep. yeah hundred uh, percent so i'll give you a really good example uh every every year every summer uh me and a group of friends uh friends frat bros this is a good mix of all of us uh we call it the rat pack we do an annual retreat well um during this retreat we want to make sure we were we record like some dope content, some dope pictures. Some people got cameras, but there might be some other stuff that we probably will have to pay a professional photographer to come in to do. But in order to do that, we'll, we'll if, we, if we can't get it done this weekend um, or over the summer, we'll just rent some of the equipment from Boxed Up to make it happen. So it, it's really for, um, for anyone that's thinking of doing anything. So if you think you got a big idea, or you're onto something. Let's say you want to make 3D printed jewelry. Well, 3D printers cost, you know, $700 at minimum. But if you want a nice one, you're probably looking at $3,000. Well, you still need to figure out what people like, maybe get some prototypes out the door. So I want to work with people like that so that they can rent something like a 3D printer, get a concept out the door. And then once they, once they, 
have a vision for what it's really going to be, then they can invest in their own or do something uh, in a different way. But it's really just the jumpstart that entrepreneur uh, or that person that wants to get into photography or whatever it may be uh, from a B2C or B2B perspective for, for both. So I'm starting off small. My goal was to spend as little money as possible to really test the product and see what people like. Uh, so now that I'm starting to get some traction, I definitely want to move into the B2B world. I don't think it'll be any different. I think we're seeing, seeing that shift with Amazon where uh, a lot of the B2C uh, things that you like from what you like as a consumer, it doesn't change when you go and work for big company ABC. You still have that same philosophy. You still want it to look pretty. So a lot of these like really down, dirty, boring tools like SAP and all of this other stuff, it's going to start to feel a lot more like a consumer product over time. Um, so the mission is the same for Boxed Up too. Oh man. Yep. 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 That's, 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 I'm, I'm excited, man. That's a, and I know it's just the tip of the iceberg for it, man. So with that being said, man, let's do a transition before we go to our last and final round, man. Personally, man, how do you, so you have, you've been married five years, have two kids, man. Like what is, what is the strategy to attack that, man? Cause it seemed like you got you all over the place with Amazon. Now you have this business, which I know you putting in a obsessive amount of work in organizing, strategizing, communicating, et cetera. But also, too, you try to be a great husband, a great father, too, man, considering, as you mentioned earlier in the podcast, um, not and I'm not going to say the way you grew up, like you grew up in a rough. Nah, no, no, no. But, you know, in the, the considerations yeah. with the family dynamic, man. So what what is your play? How do you do that? Yeah, it, it, it's tough, man. I think the, the part I left out about um, Boxed Up is I own the product. So you select the dates that you want the product for. Uh, I ship it out to you. You use it. Uh, put it back in the box and then send it back. So it's just like the Black Tux or any of these other services that you'll use. Uh, select your dates, rent it out, and then send it back. Well, wrapped up in all of that is me trying to do all of those aspects myself while I'm at the house. So <laughs> it's crazy, man. As you can imagine, it's a zoo. I walk in the house. You know, I got my, my daughter hanging on my right leg. My son <laughs> want me to pick him up. They trying to play with daddy. They haven't seen daddy all day. So they want, you know, they want their daddy, their playtime. And um, my wife want to catch up for work. So it's, you know, what it's forced me to do is really just prioritize my life uh, accordingly. It's, it's definitely hectic now, but, you know, God first, wife second, and then family third. And then really the, the business comes forth. And it's, it's a challenge to do that, man. I, I'd be lying to you if I said it was easy. But for example, regular day for me is, my daughter walks in our room at like 5.30 in the morning. <laughs> they, I, I, I wake up, do the, the, put the clothes on thing, get out the door. I'll get home from work at 6 o'clock. Well, dinner, talking, baby stuff, that's going on until 9.30, man. So from 5.30 to 9.30 is no time spent basically on the business whatsoever. I'm getting all of my stuff done from like 9.30 to midnight or later wow. uh, on most nights. Just trying to to get 9.30 p.m.? 5.30 a.m. to 9.30 p.m. So all your time, wow, how, how many hours do you sleep? Man, like, on, to be honest, on average, five is a good night for me. If I could get five hours in, that's amazing. Um, but a lot of times it's short, man. It, it might be, I, I'd say on average about five hours. So you're thinking about I'm packing up orders, I'm updating the website. I'm prepping the social media, Instagram posts for the next day. So I just got to be super methodical about how I plan out my day. 
but I'm really only getting a couple hours to do all of that stuff. But you think about it, I, I did all of that to launch it the same way. So, and I did it in a hundred days. So I, I hate, I hate sometimes when I talk to people and they're like, you know, well, I'm going to do it next year or I'm going to do it in a few months. I'm like, look, dude, I got two kids. I don't get no time to myself. Um, but if you want something, man, you got to be persistent and dedicated. And what it's forced me to cut out, it's forced me to cut out sleep, forced me to go to cut out going out. So I don't do a whole lot of that stuff. Really, man, it's not a lot of fat in my life. It's like <laughs> work, family, business, sleep, you know, rinse and repeat. Yeah, man. Oh, last question. We're boxed up, man. How, I mean, if you mind share, how do you ensure the products, man? Because like, say, for instance, somebody in this in the whole rental industry, I guess, yeah, is it just a simple rental insurance? Like, how does that how does that work? Yeah, you know, the standard is, is pretty much rental insurance. So I, I do something like that, but I, I try to make it easy for you. Like, I don't want people to have to overthink the process. So uh, I'll, I, I include all of that in the price. So the price that you see on the website includes rental insurance and shipping. So if you see a price, that includes that product getting to your door for insurance and shipping. So I just embed it all within the call so people don't have to think about it. Um, but yeah, there's definitely insurance for each of those, each of those products that I'm seeing. Got you, man. And um, before we we're about to transition to rapid fire round, man, last question before that is when it's all said and done, man, how do you want to be remembered? Oof, that's a big one. Um, I, I think growing up, I would read like Fortune and Forbes magazines and and I would see. Uh, people that I aspire to be from like a business or entrepreneurial perspective. And none of those people look like me. And at the end of the day, um, I remember walking out of Black Panther, right? And feeling so happy to be Black and proud, but it, because it was the first time that we had really got a chance to see a Black hero on screen that looked like us, that was doing this stuff that a lot of these other people were cast as. And, and for me, I want to be remembered, uh, obviously, as a great family man, as a great husband, as a great father. Um, but I, I want to give the, the, the eight-year-old Donald Boone in his neighborhood another option to say, yeah, I can do that. People, people can't see, people can't aspire to be something that they can't see. So if the, Don, the eight-year-old me who's living in Chicago or living in Miami doesn't see a black businessman killing it, then that's not what they're going to want to be, man. People that I grew up, they didn't want to be, you know, uh, C-suite executives. They didn't know any C-suite executives. They couldn't see any of them. So I, I want to be that, that normal working black man that people aspire to be um, because it's something that they can do, not just Bron, Katie, Drake, um, you know, whatever. Great, man. That's, that's, uh, hey, that's a great, Way to put it in a nutshell, man. So we got the coach change round, man. We got five rapid fire questions. Hopefully we get rapid fire answers, man. You ready to rock? <clears throat> Let's do it. What's the best piece of advice that you have never received? Mm. It's okay to fail. Uh, failure's, failure's good, but, but nobody ever came to me and told me that it was okay. People always told me, find a way to make it work. Um, but nobody ever sent me down and told me like, yo, it's all right if it doesn't work. Um, it's cool. Outside of my mom, but like from a, a business perspective, failure's okay. Yep. If you could add one habit and take away one habit, what would they be? 
add one habit, I would say reading. I don't read nearly as much. Um, so I would definitely add reading as a habit. Uh, take a one way, take away a habit, probably drinking. Um, I don't drink a whole lot. I'm not an alcoholic by any, by any stretch of the word. Uh, but I, I love a, a good drink a couple times a week, but it's a lot of sugar. I sound old, man, but it's a lot of, it's a lot of <laughs> not good stuff, uh, for you and that alcohol, man. So that'd probably be the, uh, the one I take away. Love that, man. Um, what is your favorite movie and why? <sighs> Oof. Um, I think Inception is probably oh, one of my favorites. Yeah. Um, I, I love thinking and I love, uh, I'm an engineer, right? So it's a very like deep thought uh, in the moment movie. So that's one of those movies, regardless of where I am. It's a lot of much deeper movies, a lot of movies that I love, but that's one of those movies, man, I keep coming back to and just, I'll just watch it on a random Sunday morning. Mm-hmm. What is your biggest fear? Probably not being a good father. Uh, I, I think, you know, growing up, um, my, my pops only went to one of my high school basketball games. And um, I remember coming home and his response wasn't like, you did good. Uh, he was riding me, man, for like, you know, reason why you didn't do this because you didn't do, you didn't have good pushups. Um, or the reason why you did this is, you know, because you weren't doing proper sit-ups. And, you know, I, I just remember so, so, so much of the time I felt like he wasn't giving me what I needed. And my life would probably be a whole lot different if, if I had a, a better figure from that perspective. So for me, failure is not being the father to my kids that I wanted as a young kid. So I live with that a, a whole lot. That's one of the biggest burdens I carry for sure. And then uh, the last question before we uh, end the show with our culture change question is, if you were the president of the United States, what's the first thing you would do? I would say my, my mind immediately goes to two things. Uh, I think homelessness is number one. Uh, number two has to be the divisive nature uh, of the system and how it's set up. Like we're seeing it today with all of these industries, man. Look, you take a look at the weed industry. Like it's it's people still got people locked up for uh for selling a weed, man, selling a dime bag, like selling nothing. And right now it's whole agricultural companies coming over and taking over an entire industry uh that a lot of our people are still locked up for. So all of these systems are and mechanisms are in place to to hold us back. Um, and to hold our people back from from making a gain and catching up to our white counterparts, man. So in a lot of ways, it's still unfair uh, in a whole lot of ways. So I, I think what uh, the principles that Obama ran on was to be the president for all of the country, not just for black people. And I completely get it. Um, I think to take a step further, if we got another shot at putting somebody that looked like us in office is like actually helping black people fix the systemic stuff. Systemic racism, uh, and that's been holding. Say that again for the people in the back. All right, man. So every single person has ever been on this show through well over 100 episodes, man, is a culture change agent and their families and their communities and what they do and how they live, man. So if you could change one thing about society, most specifically our African-American culture, what would it be and why? 
I say I take away the feeling uh, that people feel like they have to put on a front or uh, or men have to be hard or men can't be emotional or men can't be soft or women have to be uh, one way or, or women have to be uh, the, the, the people at the at the home doing X, Y, Z. Um, nobody has to fit in a particular box. Uh, I remember getting yelled at for having feelings um, as a as a young boy. I was taught to be hard, and I, I think we carry all of this baggage from historical preferences that people had for the way the role of a woman, the role of a man, and it's all of this stuff that's kind of just you know set up these false narratives that we still carry on uh, today. Um, so I feel feel like that holds a lot of people back. Uh, specifically, you know, for black men as well, uh, and some of the things that we struggle with and, and black women as well, who struggle finding men that are comfortable with, you know, marrying a black woman um, and sucking up their pride and, you know, even doing something as simple as dating somebody that makes more money than them. I think those are all built on challenges that come along with that are built on the principles that men feel like we need to be something that we may not. Yeah, man. we have a we have a lot of Unfortunately, we have a lot of, we come a long way, but we have a lot of wars we have to fight. But we spend a lot of time dealing with a lot of uh, internal things and things that um, come from, yeah, things from the past that really may not necessarily apply today. It just makes the battle that much more difficult, specifically when everybody's not fighting that battle. That's the only thing is like we have a lot of 70% of the culture doesn't, doesn't care about certain things that are happening. But then the other 30 is trying to fight. It's just a lot. Um, exactly. last thing I, I I had to, I have to ask though, what is your thoughts from a, from a technological, uh, from a technical space, but also just in general space? Uh, cause th let's be real. Amazon is a, is a company and I, I can cut this if need be, but Amazon is a company that is uh changing the world there. There is, it's, it's, it's helping out a lot of things, helping our businesses, making things more efficient and fast, but the data, mm -hmm. what it takes on the environment, um, what it may do to the labor force etc um how do, i mean what's your thoughts personally um for what you can say on on how they mitigate it but also too what does the future look like in a space where it's a rush to be more efficient a rush to get things faster a rush to do certain things yeah i, I that's a good question I, I don't think any of that is gonna change if anything it's gonna speed up so you talk about automation and the way that Companies like Amazon are automating warehouses and fulfillment centers. Um, so the headlines that you read are people are losing jobs to robots or people are losing jobs to cheaper labor. And at the end of the day, any company is going to find a way to reduce their uh, reduce their spend and their expenses and find a cheaper way to do it. And unfortunately, um, you don't got to pay computers. You just got to pay electricity to keep the computer running. You don't have to give a computer insurance or life insurance. So all of this stuff. Companies are always yeah. going to uh, push toward the cheaper, uh, the cheaper part. But I think what it's going to force people to have to do is it's just going to upgrade the way certain parts of the labor force think about working. So instead of getting a manual labor job, uh, you might get a job where uh, you'll have to program a computer to do something more efficiently uh, or more effectively than you have before. So I just think it changes in that way. Um, not as much as, you know, people are saying, you know, Amazon is taking jobs <laughs> or Amazon is doing this. Uh, Amazon is trying to do with every other company in the world. 
uh, is trying to do for the most part. So I'm, I'm less likely, and I know I sound like a company man, uh, less likely to throw stones at specific strategies because I, I think every person and everybody's doing the exact same thing. Yeah, man. Hey, it's been a phenomenal, phenomenal show, man. I appreciate you giving me well over all your time, man. Sharing the ups, downs, all arounds, and all that good stuff, man. So as we close out, where can Minority Trailblazer Nation find more information about you, Boxed Up, and all that good stuff? Please, please, please hit me up at uh, boxedup.io. So B-O-X-E-D, up, U-P, dot I-O. Um, you can find me there. Uh, I'll also give out my email. It's Donald at boxedup.io. So if you feel like you need to hit me, man, reach out. Uh, anything that the people want to hear, uh, I'm always happy to uh, to reach out and spread love. Um, my personal IG, too, is uh, Donald T. Boone, um, and that'll be in the show notes as well. Uh, but check out the uh, the email and shoot me, shoot me a message. So Minority Trailblazer Nation, you already know, man. As we conclude, make sure you blow this episode up, man. Definitely send out messages. This was a great, great show. Like I called it from the beginning. It's going to be legendary, man. All I got to do is say two things. One, make sure you leave a review and share a friend and share a friend. And number two, make sure you're changing the freaking culture. Good night.